This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. All right, everyone, sit back and take it all in. You might want to come back and listen to this later and have a pen or paper handy because there, again, are so many amazing, great nuggets from the conversation I had with the incredible Marianne O'Brien. She is a leadership and talent development specialist. She wrote this incredible book, which we talk about, called The Elevated Communicator, How to Master Your Style and Strengthen Well-Being at Work. There's so much synergy between our work, and she talks a lot about how our programming gets in our way and how programming that developed when we were a kid and gets in our way and we're on autopilot. And we talk about these four communication styles and how we show up when we are the best expression of ourself versus when we're the stressed expression of ourself and key things we all can do to navigate this ongoing, stressful, challenging world that we live in and still be able to maximize our positive impact. And so I think on both a personal and professional level, you are going to get so much out of this conversation and you will see a link in the episode page where you can go to her website and you can take the style assessment yourself for free. So I encourage you to do that and enjoy. So in your book, you write that being authentic is the bedrock of our success and yes, purpose. The problem is we're not always genuine at work. We fail to show up or feel that we cannot show up as our whole selves, and we fail to appreciate the connection between being ourselves, building trust, and feeling a sense of purpose. The vast majority of us operate with a gap between how we communicate when we're stressed and how we know we can communicate when our self-awareness and well-being are strong, and stress seems to be winning. I thought this was such a great jumping off point because we know that stress is like at an all time high. And why I wanted to jump off here is I feel like this is a conversation that I have multiple times a day with my clients because people are running around triggered left and right. So tell me more about what you're seeing and then how this fits into what we can do to be what you call an elevated communicator. Okay. Well, that's a big one. And I love that that's where you're starting. There's a spectrum of how we express ourselves, right? So there's that healthy style expression when we're at our best, right? When we're naturally listening, engaged, patient. And then there's our style under stress. And each style has its own expression of that. But it's often we push, we bulldoze, we withdraw, we avoid things. And what I'm seeing in organizations is before the shutdown, people were stressed, but we didn't really talk about it. And then it opened up this conversation. You know, we saw each inside each other's homes. You know, you started to kind of pull down some of that facade that you go into work and put on your work face. And we kind of operated in a little bit of a presentation of how we wanted people to see us. And now that genie's out of the bottle. <laughs> we know we can see each other more clearly. We don't comb our hair on most days. We don't even put on pants most days. I mean, come on. And so I think all those facades have started to come down and we're more willing to say like, look, I'm under a lot of stress. I'm dealing with all these things. You can see the kid peek their head in the door, right? You can understand that people are juggling things. And so that stress level, at least we've gotten better about talking about it. 
But the other piece that's interesting is now, as I'm working with organizations, there's this desire to kind of accelerate everything that that got sidelined, right? Because we had to deal with how to figure out how to run a business in a new way. And people aren't ready to go back to 60, 70 hour weeks and being on all the time. So I think that's part of what's pushing people into, I need to leave this job or I need to talk about how to make this work better. And what happens is if our needs aren't met on a certain level, we're in that stress cycle, we go into the lowest expression of ourselves, right? That's when we blame, complain, void, become argumentative, become too assertive. And no style under stress does particularly well. And when we're operating from that level, it's going to be really challenging to find purpose, satisfaction, meaning in life and in work. I love how even you phrase it like the best expression of ourself, right? Because we know we're not all our best every day. And we actually define leadership as it's maximizing our positive impact on the world by becoming our best fully authentic selves and then supporting those around us to break past barriers and step into their greatness. And with that, it's like, hey, everybody has an opportunity to show up as a leader every day, to show up as the best expression of ourselves. So when people are stressed, and sometimes the organizations exacerbate it and the way that they're operating and having leaders that don't realize they're not showing up as the best expression of themselves are creating an environment and a culture that just right? Multiply stuff. What can people do? Because I can tell you, like, I know when I'm stressed and it's hard, but I know I have tools and tips and tricks that I can lean on to go, okay, I'm not going to maybe be my best today, but I don't have to get hijacked and show up as that crappy version of myself. There's two parts to your question. One is what can you do? And then what can leaders do? So on one side, if you have a high level of self-awareness, you can see like, okay, I'm a little bit on the edge of getting triggered, of not responding intentionally. Because when we are in that healthiest expression, it's intentional. Most of the time we're on autopilot. We're just kind of going through and that's where our style, when you recognize like, oh, okay, that's just someone's autopilot. They're not trying to annoy me. That's just the way they operate. And by and large, that works for them. It's just that it doesn't work for you. And that's where you get style tensions. So if you can recognize that I'm under stress, I really need to exercise more patience today. Or if you're already in that stress cycle, do something to move out of it. So there's research that has been shown how to break out of stress cycles. And the fastest way to do that is to move your body. So go do something. Go for a walk in nature if you can for five minutes. Go up and down the stairs in your office building. Do something that just kind of moves that out of your body. And if you can't go anywhere for a few minutes, stop and just pause and take some deep cleansing breaths, really deep breath work, hold it and let it go. Even if you do that for three, four breaths, you're going to reset your sympathetic nervous system. So when we get triggered, our sympathetic nervous system goes into high response, goes into fight, flight, freeze. And if we can just calm ourselves down and get that parasympathetic nervous system to kick back in, then we can, okay, you know, I can, I can do this. And I'm telling you, breathing is the easiest way to help support yourself during stress, but we automatically kind of go into really shallow breathing when we're under stress. So if you're aware of stress and then you go, okay, how am I breathing? Because that can become a pattern of breathing. And then that sets your body into a stress cycle. So there's so many things like as you learn these little tips and techniques of how to stay in a healthier style expression, you'll 
create less stress for yourself <laughs> because when we're under stress, we create more interpersonal issues, more drama, telling somebody a story that isn't making anything better. So recognizing it, finding some techniques, and there's a, a bunch of techniques in the book that you can do. Breathing is one of them. There's also ideas to elevate on my website where you can get these tips that'll help you understand, okay, what can I do? I love that, by the way, that you have all those tips and tricks, and we will put that in the show notes. So the other piece is how do leaders hold space? And we lead something called leadership circles where leaders understand like how you communicate sets the tone for everything. And how do you understand what your people need? How do you understand their style? How do you flex towards their style? There's a lot of old ways of operating in organizations. It's all about managing up, managing your boss. Like everybody manages up, but people forget to care about the people that are reporting to them or work alongside them. So I always recommend that the leaders figure out like you need to understand everyone's style, have everyone understand everyone's style so that you can remove some of the things that create the tensions and then flex your style towards theirs. So if you're a direct leader and you have absolutely no need for any small talk or social niceties, you like to get straight into the meeting agenda, but the person who's reporting you to is either expressive or harmonious. They have to have some sort of personal connection in order to not get triggered <laughs> and, and to feel like you care about them. Each style has these different set of needs. And all it takes is a little, a couple of minutes of like, hey, how are you? And a leader who's direct is under stress. They want to get right to the meat of it. So you have to remember and create these practices to prepare for the conversations in a way that makes everything smooth, everything more effective, more productive, more human connection. Because at the heart of communication, that is all about human connection. And it's impossible to build trust without it. And every organization, like the Holy Grail is like psychological safety. We all want psychological safety. And you can't get to trust if you don't listen to people, if you don't value their perspective, if you don't take a minute to try to understand them and what they need and show that you care. And that's a new dynamic that's coming into organizations. Absolutely. Even people who are shyer or have more introverted qualities, right, where they need more alone time. That has nothing to do with the fact that we are all neurobiologically hardwired to be in connection with other people. And so I love that you brought in the psychological safety piece because you're right, psychological safety and trust go hand in hand. And Amy Edmondson, I, she's been posting stuff on LinkedIn lately, like here's conversation starters, because it all comes down to communication, how you listen and what you say and the questions you ask creates that, that space, right? Where people can pause. So before we get into the four types of communication, I'm going to read another passage in your book. So you talked about how we're on autopilot. 90, 95% of the time. And I always talk about this to people and they're like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, did you ever drive somewhere? And you didn't remember how you got there? And all of a sudden you're like, wait, what have I been doing? <laughs> how did I get into this room? What did I come in here for? And I love how you describe that. Like, this is how we're designed as a species. Like, we're not designed to be operating from our prefrontal cortex all the time. That's It's a way of preservation and efficiency. And so I think what people fail to realize is that if we don't pay attention to it, I always say our 10-year-old self hijacks us, right? Like our 10-year-old self is driving the car. Our 10-year-old self is making decisions. But you talk about up till the age seven. So I want to read this and just, I want people to have this sink in and see what more you want to say about this because like, I'm like, yes, thank you for bringing this up. So you say that up until age seven, our brains operate at a theta frequency that's associated with the state of hypnosis. 
It lives just below conscious awareness. As a child, the brain is designed to download the programs needed to survive by observing and absorbing the behaviors of our parents, siblings, friends, coaches, teachers, and community. Whether it was spoken aloud or relayed in subtle cues, they told us what was right and wrong, when to speak up, when to be quiet, what was acceptable, and what was not. Whatever people said or did, the subconscious recorded it as truth. And this became the programming for your beliefs and behaviors, because again, the subconscious believes everything it's told. The problem is that much of the programming we absorbed is flawed. In fact, studies show that 70% of the programs we download from others are negative, disempowering, and self-sabotaging. What makes this extremely relevant is that these faulty programs drive 95% of our behavior. And why I wanted to go there is literally every time I'm doing immunity to change coaching with individuals, right? And we get to like looking at where do these scripts come from? I was five years old and this happened. Whether they had a happy childhood or traumatic childhood, we create these stories that form our rules of how life works. And so we're doing all this work to like unwind it um, with them. When you think about that, what can organizations do to recognize, okay, like people have these scripts, they're being hijacked by their seven-year-old self and they don't even know it. How do we get back to consciousness and rewrite those narratives that are not true, that are self-sabotaging? Walk me through that a little bit. I would say on an organizational level, mentoring. Like we've got to be able to have those conversations because we can see what people's issues are at work. It's like, oh my gosh, they're reluctant to make a decision. Like, why don't they step in? Why do I have to guide them along the path every time? Or why do they personalize everything so much? Why won't they, whatever it is, why do they do too much of this or not enough of this? And so I would say on a organizational level, you really need mentoring in your organization to be able to coach people or coaching or whatever you want to call it. You need something that helps people understand, hey, this behavior that you've got going, this unwillingness to share information, this reluctance to speak up in meetings to you, whatever that is, because there's a wide range of human behaviors. If there's anything more complex than communication, it's people. (laughs) So understanding what are all those behaviors like, and when you understand their style, you can start to see the predominant patterns. So understanding their style, understanding their needs, their motivations, their values, where they're really strong and where they're going to need some support to grow. Because where those areas of weaknesses need to be developed, they aren't just things you can get over. Like if you are not a good listener, you've got to develop your listening skills. So I would say mentoring and coaching is really important. But the flip side of that is you can't help anybody who can't see their pattern. So the most important thing that people can do is to really do their own level of self-awareness. There's so much that we don't see, and that's where coaching can help us see our blind spots. So if people aren't seeing it, you need to bring it into their attention. But if we got into regular practices of doing some self-reflection, like when a meeting's gone well or a conversation's gone well, okay, why'd that go so well? Do a little bit of post-mortem, like what made that feel so effective? And the times that it doesn't, Instead of just ruminating it, go like, okay, how did I contribute to that? What's going on here? What's that dynamic? And then there are a whole host of things that help you understand limiting beliefs, what makes me get triggered. And going through your style profile, you'll start to see the patterns. And but if you look at that pattern, you say, okay, why is it that I do that? And coming back to your piece around how we're programmed and that up to age seven. So that idea that when we're on autopilot, And we're in that 95% of the time, we're just kind of running our program. 
if that program's healthy, if our program is okay, someone's talking, I'm going to, I'm going to give them my full attention. I'm going to silence notifications. Someone's dropped into my office. I'm going to shut my laptop. You can develop those same habits because those patterns are habitual. And that's why we can drive and not think about it, right? Because we're driving all the time. Anything that we can make a positive habit and making that healthiest style expression, your predominant mode of operating, then autopilot works really well for us. But what we need to stay aware of is that we start to slip into our stress style when tensions rise and that programming that's faulty, that's where our limiting beliefs live. So if you are raised in an environment where it's like, be seen and not heard, right? Or you ask too many questions, you start to pick up on these cues or someone in a figure of, in a, of authority when you were a child said something to you that instilled shame, that instilled an imprint that was like, that's not safe to say that. It's not safe to speak the truth. It's not safe to whatever that is not safe to whatever, fill in your blank. We all have those traumas. Like we, I think because there's been so much trauma in the world, we fail to recognize that everyone has had trauma in their life. And those traumas are our triggers. So when we go heal that or look at it and go, gosh, okay, at the age of five, six, seven, I didn't have the skills to really deal with that, but I can recognize now as an adult, you know, asking questions isn't inherently bad. You know, it's probably really good to be conscious about the way you're asking them and do it from a place of curiosity versus judgment where you go, really? I'm not seeing it the same way, you know, help me understand it. <laughs> you know, And when we're under stress, we tend to go more into judgment than curiosity. So that programming also like we inherit you know, they know now that our DNA carries patterns back 14 generations. And so we can inherit patterns of anxiety, patterns of assertiveness. So that's why people are like, oh my God, you're so much like your mother. You're so much like your father, whatever it is. It's learned behavior. And then there's the imprints that happen as an adult. You have a challenging experience with someone that you report to or work with that really kind of triggers you and sets you off, that imprints. The subconscious is trying to keep us safe. So it's always pulling up memories and working at that like macro computer processing speed. And that's why awareness is important, which we're about 5% of the time, because that's when we can start to go like, okay, these behaviors are not helpful. Like I need to watch for this. So once you're aware, once something comes into your awareness, it's hard to unsee it. So we just have to be willing to look and then to keep it in our awareness, stay conscious of how we're behaving. And we tend to do it when the conversations are important. You know, we're at our best when conversations are important. It's the everyday exchanges or times where we just, our bandwidth is pretty low that the worst of us comes out. One of the things that struck me as you were talking, you, know, you kept talking about our programming, we leverage the work of Bob Anderson and Bill Adams from the Leadership Circle, and they talk about it in terms of our inner operating system or our iOS. So if you have that operating system that is in self-sabotaging, self-protective, they call it the reactive mind that is all fear-based. It's all something's wrong and we get into reactive mode. And they talk about doing the work. They use the language of upgrading that inner operating system, right? Upgrading to move from this reactivity to more intentionality, or they call it the creative mind. And so recognizing how can we do that upgrade? Because if we don't do that inner upgrade, then all of the 
what they call, they call that the inner game of leadership. The outer game of leadership is the practices, the skills, the behaviors, that stuff's not, not going to follow. So how often do we go to a class of here, learn communication skills, which is outer game stuff, which is important, but we haven't done the work to upgrade our inner game. So we're trying to learn, learn how to listen and learn how to ask better questions, but our inner game is full of judgment, self-sabotage. It's a mismatch. And so that's a really good transition to talk about what are those four types of communicators? You talk about we need to know style, we need to understand, and there's a free, I love that you have a free assessment. I took it. I'm going to have you guess which one you think I am, but I want you to talk about the four different styles. First, I'd say I think you're expressive direct. <laughs> Close. I'm expressive reserved, actually. Interesting. Well, expressive was easy to see. What I'll say is when you do the style assessment, you're going to get your primary style and your secondary style. And everyone's secondary, the role it plays, you know, fluctuates. It could be a very small role. It could be almost 50-50. And that's why it's like, think about how you communicate most of the time. <laughs> because we all have times that we fall a little bit into every one of them, right? Depending on situations, we can all be harmonious. We can, in our harmonious people can also be extremely expressive. And the reason we go through it at work is because how we communicate at work is different than how we communicate socially many times to the point of the four styles. So the largest is expressive. Expressive is 37% of the working population. They are defined by their love for sharing ideas, collaborating, working in teams. They are the most assertive style. So if there's an issue, they want to raise it so that they can resolve it and get back to kind of healthy communication on the team. They love to tell stories. They love to go on tangents. They love meeting new people. They're great at new business. They make people feel comfortable and they are a total open book. They want everyone to know everything about them and they want to know everything about you. So that in a nutshell is the art. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have reserved. So this is an interesting kind of dichotomy. You'll start to see where you go, oh, there's some alignment because some almost every style has some overlap where they share and parts where they're different, which is why there's three dimensions that the segmentation was done on assertiveness, collaboration, and consideration. So those axes show up like a constellation. And sometimes we share stars and sometimes our shining points are on, on the outer limits. So reserved, they're 25% of the population. They are team players. They love to have influence. They're very confident. They want to share their opinions. They want you to listen to their opinions. They don't want to be responsible for making the decision, more guarded, more private. They don't need to know your story. They don't really want you to go too personal. They love to keep everything at a professional level. Amazing networkers. They're the ones who pull up other people on the team because they really care about being on high performing teams. And they also are kind of work engines. They get so much of the work done. So they're extremely valuable but they don't want to lead. Expressive, love to lead. Third group is direct. They're 22%. They are direct. <laughs> they are straightforward. They're focused. They're responsible. They pull everyone else up on the team. So they kind of inspire accountability. They're the ones that will bring the meeting back on track. They have no need for any sort of small talk. They're pretty private. They love to work independently. 
You know, so if they could, they would just work by themselves, make all the decisions by themselves, and then inform everyone else about how things should operate. <laughs> and so you can start to see, like, do you like to collaborate when you make decisions? Do you want to just inform to make decisions? Or you go like, no, I can make this all by myself. They are so sincere when they say things, they come prepared. Like, you know where you stand with people who are direct. It's just their style. Sometimes they're not aware of the impact that they're having on other people whenever they can cut through everything and say, here's what we need to focus on. But they're also great whenever conversations kind of get a bit too far afield. So all of the styles have these really great strengths and roles that they play on a team and areas where you really need to have some awareness and watch out that you're not negatively impacting the team. And then the last group is harmonious. They're 16% of the population. They are amazing relationship people. They care about people more than anything. So they will always work to protect the relationship. They want harmony. They want peace. They want great working relationships. They are the first to raise their hand and say, I'll help because they want to help people. They are the glue that keeps all the styles kind of working well together. They also are quieter. Their pace is slower. They like to listen to everyone before they say something. And they oftentimes need to be invited into the conversation because the other three styles are so talk, like especially expressives are so talkative and direct, wants to make sure their positions seen and reserved really wants to have influence. So sometimes harmonious people will just get to sit back and be like, okay, you know, I'm just going to listen. I'll wait for an opportunity to, to weigh in, but they really need to speak up more often because they bring a perspective of humanity that other styles aren't thinking through, you know? And so each of us has this kind of distinct ability to bring a different perspective because the truth is we're not the same. We don't see the world the same. Our brains aren't wired the same. And that's what's powerful about us is that we all have these different perspectives. And if we want to see higher levels of innovation, higher levels of collaboration, higher levels of safety in organizations, we need to respect that and value that and make room for those voices to be heard because we haven't always been that great at doing this in organizations. And the harmonious, they are so valuable in organizations and they're quiet. So you have to make room for them. The thing that they need to kind of watch out for is that they don't like conflict. So they're very agreeable and they can be compliant. And it's hard to tell when they're under stress because they already kind of act easygoing but they really need to have more attention, I think, given to them or care, more respect. Because I just think we have organizations that have been pretty command and control and that they'll just go along to get along, but they're not necessarily happy. It's funny because when I first just like looked at the types, I, I figured I was going to be expressive, but I thought direct. But when I started looking at it as secondary style, I'm like, well, no, because like I'm all like, let, let's grow influence and let's lift up others. And yeah, I can still be very direct, right? And make decisions. But like, I'm all about, right? This is people in community building and bringing people together. So it, it actually started to make sense to me when I did that. What I love about how you parcel it out too is with each one, right? It's like, these are all the gifts that they bring, right? This is the best expression of that. And guess what? When our humanity gets the best of us, this is the version of us that shows up. And what I like it is it gives us guideposts. There's an exercise that we do where we have people 
operationalize their values and we ask them to identify their behavioral guideposts. What concrete behaviors are the expression of you showing up in alignment with this value and, you know, being your best fully authentic self and having the impact you want to have in the world? And what's the expression? Like, what are the behaviors? And I literally have a summary that hangs right here and I look at it. And in my mind, part of that awareness is, yeah, we have to kind of know what triggers us. We have to pay attention to our body wisdom. We have to know the early warning signs that we are getting pulled out of alignment. And I would say, can we also celebrate our humanity and also extend some humanity, give some compassion because we all know how hard it is some days to just keep it all together because life has its moments and we're human. So we're never going to always be in the healthiest style expression. We're not going to always communicate at our best. And so knowing that cut people some slack, have some compassion. It doesn't mean you excuse behavior and you want to circle back around, but like, I think having humanity and recognizing our own humanity is pretty important. A hundred percent, right? We have to be a little kinder and gentler to ourselves. So this is a really good transition. And speaking of our humanity getting the best of us, one of the things that I've learned in, in my work is that we all, no matter how much work we've done on ourselves, no matter how much we've tried to reprogram that unconscious crap that we're holding on from our seven-year-old self, that we all still have these self-limiting stories, self-sabotaging stories that we tell ourselves that show up from time to time. So what I would love for you to share, if you're willing, Marianne, is what is a self-limiting story that you still find that you tell yourself sometimes? And when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader and be that best expression of yourself? You know, it's interesting. So I think of limiting beliefs, limiting thoughts and stories. I tend to see them when they're expressed in behavior. So that's when I become aware of it. And then I can go back and go, okay, why do I do that all the time? Right? Because it's our patterns that help us see ourselves. One of mine, which my husband has got for many years, <laughs> I've gotten better at it, but it does it still, it still creeps in is I have a belief that people love it when you lead. People love it when you take the lead in a conversation. They love it when you raise your hand in school. They love it whenever you're facilitating a workshop and you're asking for input and no one says anything. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be the first person because it'll get it going. And I've gotten lots of validation over the years, right? Teachers love it when, you know, whenever you're engaged and respond. People who don't want to lead a conversation love that you're going to you know, start it off. When I'm not self-aware... I can just let it all go. Like I can just keep going and keep going, which is an expressive with low (laughs) self-awareness is you can dominate a conversation, right? And you don't even know you're doing it because you love it so much and you think everyone else is loving it, but you're not paying attention to like, oh, that person would actually like some room to speak. It happens more socially for me now, honestly, just because you teach what you most need to learn. So you're on your best behavior when you're working. So if you're wanting to become aware of your patterns, look outside of work, because that's where we're more lax in our self-awareness and behaviors. And so that for me is one that I always work on. So if I'm on a video call, I will mute myself because I want to weigh in on everything, right? So I try to, you know, speak once for every three times I have an impulse or I'll not step in and let somebody else, especially if you know there's other expressives there because too many expressives, no other style is going to get a chance to say anything. And honestly, you know, we've all heard it and it's bears repeating is you learn when you listen. And so 
listening is a piece that I am always intentionally working on. I've gotten better and better and better at it. I should say the best style at it is harmonious. Like they have so many amazing traits that I think we undervalue sometimes. So I would say that's the one that I keep in my awareness is, you know, listen, <laughs> speak less, listen more. Yeah. I love it. Love it. All right. Are you ready for the quick questions? I am. Set me up. <laughs> Let's see what you got. <laughs> All right. Here we go. First one, fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Being yourself. Your real self. No pretense, letting people see you and having a heart. Love that. Oh, love that. Okay. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? I exercise to get my energy going. I meditate and I go to gratitude. And I say, you know, if I didn't have this opening, I'd be wishing I had one. <laughs> so, so step into it. But I would get my energy going into there. I would center and ground. And then I would go to shift my mindset into one of appreciation instead of I have to, I get to kind of thing where you kind of, you know, mindset and attitude drive everything. <laughs> what is something people would be surprised to know about you? I would say that people who know me would be surprised to know that I now live on a hobby farm, that I have an organic garden, that I make raspberry jam from scratch, that I'm making homemade pasta sauce because never in a million years would I think I'm doing this. So I, it is a testament that we can all change. If you'd ever told me I'd be living on a hobby farm, I would never have believed you. I am now, I used to always be like, oh, those people really like to be outside. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, it's nature. <laughs> I would have thought that I would have been living in Manhattan before I would be living in the what I consider country, <laughs> you know, 30 minutes outside of Minneapolis and taking the time to make my own food. So we can all come, you know, 180. Hey, it's, it's, the, it's the yin and yang of life. It is, but you know, they say, oh, people don't change. I'm like, oh, yes, they do. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite go-to movie? Broadcast News is what I watch every, every year. It's from the 80s. If you haven't seen it, go back and see it. What's your go-to song? Gosh, I have a whole playlist of songs. I used to be really big into like YouTube because before I, I don't know about you, but before I facilitate anything, I always play. If I'm driving across town or if I'm just prepping a room or whatever, like I always play music. You know, Beautiful Day was a really big one for me for a long time. So that's still on the playlist. I just, I guess I wouldn't say I have one. I have more like, there's so many because music is such a great energy booster. What is something you can't live without? And it doesn't have to be an actual thing. You know, lately I would say my Peloton <laughs> because, because I live in the country and I love spinning, but to like go to a spin class was so much time. And I love to sweat. I love that, like just that energy you get afterwards. Like I exercise every day because it just lifts your mood, lifts your energy, changes all the neurochemistry. Like once you understand how your body is designed, movement just has, for me, has to be a part of it. What's something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? Walking our dogs. I would say like being in nature with the dogs, like just their joy and we've got three, they all have such different personalities, but it's always like whenever I get a little stressed or if I start to feel like, oh my God, I have so much to do. I'm, you know, you start to be overwhelmed by your to-do list or the pressure and time seems to be going 
faster than the day. Like, how's the day getting so away from me? That's when I'll actually stop. And I'm like, we're going for a walk. And whatever I've been trying to think through just comes in, you know, just getting away from a computer. I think ideas don't come whenever you're sitting in front of a computer, for me, at least for me. They come more whenever I'm doing something else. I know I use the note feature on my phone. We're like, oh, I have this idea. And I was like sitting on our patio or I was out doing yard work. And I'm like, this is going to leave me if I don't either write it down or use the voiceover, even though it's messy. I know that I can then just email it to myself and then put some coherence to it. So totally get that. Last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? I would say my health. I think it's one of those things that when I, and you know, it's the whole thing of if you have your health, you have everything. And the past year I've had like, shoulder issues, knee issues. And you realize like, gosh, if you can't, you know, because movement, remember movement for me is really important every day. And so having movement, like getting movement back, having gone through and watching people not have health, you know, just the health of our country, you know, everything we've been going through for the last couple of years has, I think, put health pretty front and center. And it's one of those things I think I took for granted. So I would say health, health on all levels. So as we wrap up, if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everybody to show up as a leader, what would that be? I would say genuine listening. I've worked with leaders who are amazing listeners and they're the most effective. And there's multiple layers to that, right? So there's that first level of like, be an active listener, shut down all your other stuff and you eliminate distractions. That also takes you to empathic listening. You have to try to understand people, see where they're coming from. You don't have to agree with them all the time, but like value their perspective, understand who they are, get to know them because you cannot get to know somebody. You cannot build trust if you don't listen to people. And then when you get to that, that leads you to genuine listening. There's a level of curiosity, like, gosh, I, I wonder why they see that this way. Or isn't that interesting that that's what they're going. You listen with an open mind, with an open heart. And that is a skill. That is a skill that is cultivated again and again, <laughs> because if we're under stress, which we all are, you know, it's one of the first things that starts to get a dip down. You know, we allow interruptions. You know, it's like, oh, everybody does it. Everybody takes a text. And if you make it a norm, everyone will do it. And listening will never happen. Trust won't happen. Connections won't happen. Humanity will suffer. <laughs> so I would say getting to that level of genuine listening, that's an ace up your sleeve. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com. And of course, hit that follow button.